0: I'm just curious, and we can like, kind of like talk out loud here, is there any questions left over from the last four weeks? We've been in this series called The Well and living out of a deeper source, and we've highlighted four practices that are connected to that. Um, silence, you know, disengaging from the clutter, the noise in our lives. Scripture, engaging God's message, God's voice. That was week two. Week three, we talked about listening to the Spirit. And how the Holy Spirit designs um, and, and just puts all these pieces together in our lives and leads us. And last week we talked about the saints or the church and what it means to be part of the church, to bear witness to each other, for the church to bear witness to us historically and presently. And I'm just curious, like, is there any, when, you know, we do a series and sometimes there's questions. So I'm just, I'm wondering, has anybody had a question that comes up that, that you're left with? Like maybe about one of the practices or the, one of the motivations behind the practices? or a gap uh, in that anything missing. Anybody? I just like throw it out there. Let's kind of, we'll see what happens. This would be like um, open mic, but I'm not a stand-up comic. So anybody? I'm just putting myself on a limb. We should throw out the questions maybe when people come. Does anybody have a thought? No? Nothing? Was this a bad trial? Natalia is saying, Dave, just, just shift gears. and. Uh, and stop this. Does anybody have a next step that they decided on? Like something new that they said, you know what, I'm going to move into this step, into this practice in a new way, something we've talked about the last couple of weeks? Or was it all, for, or was it all in vain? <laughs> am, I, am I still like um, um, putting myself on a limb here? Am I going to be utterly embarrassed? No, Okay, cool. <laughs> We're not talkative here. What's wrong? Okay, does anybody want to say anything about what supper they had last night? Maybe just like so I have like hear somebody's voice. Would you, Tanya? What did you eat for supper last night? What was it? Sweet. Does it have anything to do with silence, solitude, scripture? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, well, that was a trial. I don't know. We'll, we'll, I don't know how we'll, we'll figure this out. I would love to try at the end of a series to kind of wrap up in a way where we can engage and maybe we'll think about ways we can do that, maybe throw out specific questions or um, prepare us for that. But let's take a shift, okay? I've already listed the four things we've talked about the last four weeks in what it means to live out of a deeper source, silence, scripture, spirit, and the saints last week talking about that. And today I want to I wanna bring to bring it all together in a a certain way. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking actually about our drummer today. Dave was playing the drums today. Actually, our other drummer was playing bass, Josh. And if you know anything about drums or about music, um, it's interesting, because the guy playing the drums, Dave playing the drums today, I mean, like, he has to learn some things, right? Like, he has to learn, there's a kick pedal, do you ever see his foot move? There's a kick pedal that kind of is the bass drum, he has sticks in his hands, and he needs to know how to work the hi-hat, the little, you know that one, or the cymbals, anybody want to make a cymbal sound for me? No? Okay, cool. So, I mean, a drummer has to figure that out, And has to be able to play certain styles and certain songs. Today we had some faster songs, some slower songs, different styles of music. But something that's so important for someone like a drummer is the sense of rhythm that brings it all together. If a drummer does not have a sense of rhythm, it does not matter if his foot can hit the pedal, right? Or if her hands are good with with the hi-hat. And it's it's a sense of rhythm that brings it all together. And that's what I want to talk about today when we talk about this th- series we've been in called The Well and this what it means to live out of a deeper source. And I want to talk about a practice that I think drives all the other practices. And a practice that actually pulls together all of them, and supports what we've been talking about the last few weeks, supports this idea of living out of a deeper source, and supports this idea of the practices we've been talking about. Who can guess, and I'll give you a little hint what this practice is, I've chosen another S word, because I love the letter S. I'm Italian, S cookies. You ever see that? Dip it in milk. Anyways, that's not why I chose. Um, who, who can guess what this practice is? Anybody? Starts with letter S? S- what? Silence, scripture, spirit, saints was last week, the church. What do you think? What do you think? Sleep. Sleep? That's a good one. You're close. Solitude. That kind of fit with silence. Service. That that fit with last week's, the saints. Yeah, how? You got one? What? See? Seek. Seek. That's a good one. Man, these are all good. We should have an... Sabbath. Who said Sabbath? Andrea, that's awesome. We could take all the other words and just like extend the series by three or four weeks. That's really cool. But yes, today we're going to talk about Sabbath. And Sabbath is like the practice of practices. Sabbath is like the core engine that drives the other belts in the engine. You know, in your car, there's more than one belt. There's a few belts, but the engine drives all of those, kind of brings them all together in that way. Sabbath is a 24-hour period. We're going to just jump into a quick definition. A 24-hour period where one stops, stops their work, stops their producing, their working, their achieving, and just stops traditionally known as a 24-hour period. It's one of the oldest practices recorded in Scripture. And it's very holistic because it's, it's physical, it's emotional, and it's spiritual. And today, I want to talk about Sabbath, and I want us to end in this way the last five weeks now, To bring everything together and integrate what it means to live out of a deeper source. This idea of Sabbath is actually embedded in creation. This idea of stopping, of slowing down, is embedded in creation. We can find it in Genesis chapter 2. We'll just read a couple of verses from the creation account. and, And listen to this. This is at the end of the creation account where there was six days of creating. And here's what happens. Thus the heavens and the earth were, what does it say? Completed. In all their vast astray, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Let's just pause. God, as we jump into this talk today and as we look at various parts of the scriptures, um, we invite you to lead us, to guide us, to speak to us We invite your Holy Spirit, as we talked about a few weeks ago, as he's like a designer who brings these pieces together. um, We pray that your spirit would be at work uh, and bring different pieces together for us as we read the scriptures. For some, God, that are desperate for what we're talking about today, may it be so relevant and speak so deeply into our lives. Uh, May we not miss it. In your name we pray. Amen. Get get some some of the language here. God finished his work. On the seventh day, he rested. He made that day holy. He rested from all the work that he was doing. We have this idea that rest is holy because God rests. He made it holy. It's made holy because on that day he rested. So we can connect the holiness of stopping to God. God actually did this. Like the actual word Sabbath, literally in Hebrew, Shabbat means to stop, to cease, to just put a hold on things. It's this rest from producing, from wanting, from worrying, from achieving, uh, from creating, from striving. It's incredible when we think about the depth of what this means. And there's actually a need for rest wired into our humanity. Like whether we believe in God or not, whether we take this story from the scriptures or the themes of the scriptures as real for our lives or not, I want us to recognize this, why it's so relevant for us and why I think it speaks to us uh, so deeply is because we are wired as humans with this need for rest. It's wired into our bodies. Almost 2,000 years ago, there was um, a Greek philosopher. His name was Flavius Philostratus. I don't know how I would say that even better in Greek. But anyways, he wrote this book in two, about 220 AD called Gymnasticus. He was writing about the Olympics and what it means to be an athlete. And even 2,000 years ago, now Sabbath is much older than that, but even 2,000 years ago, he discovered the need for our bodies, our muscles to actually have a break. That if someone who's involved in athletic activity does not stop, their muscles will not actually function well. And if you go to the gym or work out, or if you ever talk to a personal trainer, they will always say, don't like work out the same body part or part of your body like three days in a row because your muscles actually need a break. And for your muscles to grow and to be healthy, they need you to stop. And it's incredible. When we think about this, this idea, this, this posture, it's amazing what rest from work does, what rest from labor does, what rest from mental, uh, our, using our mental facilities does. It's incredible. Has, have you ever woke up and, woken up from a nap and said, oh my gosh, it's amazing. I can just start all over. You were wired for that. Apparently Ronald Reagan, when he was the President of the sta- United States back in the late 90s, or whenever that was, late 80s, sometime. Anyways, he would, about mid- midday, he, and I'm sure he started his days early, he would go grab his keys, and someone's like, why does the President of the United States even have keys? Like, to what? Like, does he open his front door? I don't know. But um, he takes his keys, and he would go grab a pot from the kitchen in the, uh, in the White House, and put a pot on the floor, and he'd lay down on the, on the couch, and he'd fall asleep and then he'd, he'd sleep, and when he, when he was sleeping deeply, I guess, he'd kind of like go like this, and his keys would hit the pot, and then he'd wake up. He'd be like, cool, back to work. So, I mean, if the, United, if, the, if the President of the United States needs a nap, all of us need naps. It's embedded in creation, this idea of what it means to stop. It's embedded in the life of Israel, God was forming this nation, this people called Israel. We read their stories in our scriptures. And God was forming this nation that would be a light to the other nations, that would be a light to the world around them. Now, sometimes they messed up in doing that, but God's intention was that they would be a light to the nations, that the way they lived would be light for others around, and that they would reflect human value and flourishing and peace. And God gave them something. He gave them rules for life. Rules for life came out way before Jordan Peterson wrote that book, if you guys know who that is. The Ten Commandments, the word commandment in the Hebrew in that, in that time period would have meant these ten rules for life. God made sure that Israel would find a way to be formed in what it meant to be his people And God made sure that Israel would understand the Sabbath because embedded in these 10 rules for life, God actually uh, instilled that they would know what Sabbath meant and remember what it meant. Now imagine a nation like Israel, when they were reading this, or not reading it, hearing it for the first time, they were coming out of years of slavery, being healed, being healed from what it meant to live under slavery, to live under oppression. They were learning what it meant to live again, what it meant to be human again, what it meant to be non-anxious again. And right embedded in these 10 rules for life, this whole nation that's healing from a trauma of anxiety and busyness and slavery hears words like this. I want to read it from Deuteronomy chapter five. There's two parts in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy five. We're going to read this Deuteronomy part. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, nor nor your donkey or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. This is amazing because there's 10 rules for life or 10 commandments here, and they're, you know, I mean, a pretty big one, like worship the Lord your God, um, don't steal, don't murder, pretty important ones. And Sabbath gets the most print. Like, Sabbath gets the most explanation. Sabbath, Sabbath gets the most, you know, um, kind of like footnotes at the bottom. Sabbath gets the, the most uh, airtime for some reason. And the sixth um, commandment is the biggest section, the most explained. Now, in Exodus 20 um, and, and Deuteronomy, you will find that both of them lean into creation, that this is how God set things up. This is how God has wired humanity, and this is for our good. But in Deuteronomy... There's something different. It's also rooted in their experience from Egypt because they were slaves in Egypt and they came out of slavery and oppression. And so when they read this command or hear this command to observe the Sabbath, to remember it, it means to practice it. And there's a few reasons right inside the command itself to keep it holy, to sanctify, to make it holy. It's not because they were going to make it holy by by practicing it. By practicing it, they were going to let it be what it's meant to be. Let it be holy. Keep it holy. Let it be what it's meant to be because this is your distinctive way of life. As they're commanded this, they're called to examine themselves, to look back over their day, over their week, over their season, to have a time of reflection, to have a time of of examine in their own lives. There's um, actually uh, embedded, even in in some Christian teaching, this idea of what it means to examine our, our days at the end of our day. It's called the examine. It's Ignatius spirituality that helps us pause and say, what was the Lord doing today? What was happening today? Where did I veer off today? Where did I see God's blessing today? Where did I see God's correction today? And so part of this slowing down is examining ourselves and looking backwards and then turning to gratitude. And it says it a couple of times that it's meant for rest. You know what's cool about the idea that it's meant for rest? God shows us what it means to rest. It's God-like to rest. So many times people say, what does it mean to be like God? When you take a nap, you're being like God. When you pause and you slow down, you are being like your creator. Ruth Hallie Barton says these words about Sabbath. She says, Sabbath keeping honors the body's need for rest, the spirit's need for replenishment, and the soul's need to delight itself in God for God's own sake. You see kind of every aspect she pulls out of Sabbath, for the body, our spirit, our soul, for God, and for God's own sake. It's not just about rest, but it's about worship. But here's something I've I, I noticed. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but I've been around the church a long time, not just West Side, but the church as a whole. And churches or Christians who inhabit churches, I don't mean these four walls, but what it means to be a community, actually struggle to do this as much as the world. Christians, especially in the Western world, but Christians struggle to do this as much as the world struggles to do this. There was a, someone by the name of Michael Zigardelli, and he, wrote, he had this survey he put out, and he, he worked in a university in the States. He surveyed 20,000 Christians. He was actually doing this research project for management and leadership, but he decided to focus on the Christian population. And he surveyed 20,000 Christians, and he found that busyness and constant overload was a major distraction for them from God. That this common theme in this survey, that busyness and constant overload was a major distraction for them, for life and for God and for their faith. Isn't that crazy? He discovered that Christians also entered this vicious cycle prompted by cultural conformity. Now, sometimes people will say cultural conformity is like we're being like the world in this way or we're falling immorally this way he found that it actually, there was a cultural conformity happening among Christians towards busyness and hurry and and this kind of vicious cycle. And he discovered that this cycle affected our relationship with God and our ability to live out of a deeper source. That's part of why Sabbath connects all these pieces from the series we've been in. Because it affects us in a negative way if we don't understand what it means to practice this it becomes hard to be silent. It becomes hard to engage scripture. It becomes hard to listen for God's voice. It becomes difficult to engage in God's body, the church. So here's, here's the cycle. It's pretty interesting. He, he, he discovered that this is what the cycle looked like, looks like. Christians assimilate into a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. So as a Christian, as a Christ follower, even though we're called to be a light to the world, even though we're called to reflect God's kingdom, we end up assimilating into a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload that's around us. Here's the next thing. That leads us to God becoming marginalized. Instead of God being the center of our life, we marginalize God to the the edge of our lives, and we become disconnected from God. So when we assimilate to a culture of busyness and hurry and and overload, God becomes marginalized. The next step, when God becomes marginalized, our relationship with God deteriorates. And our relationship with him and our peace with him and our listening for his voice begins begins to deteriorate because our lifestyle has pushed him off to the margins. And so now that deteriorates. The next part, the next piece of the cycle is now we become vulnerable to adopt other cultural assumptions, but continually adopt the, the, the whole assumption of busyness, hurry, and overload. So we go from assimilating to culture, God becoming marginalized, our relationship with him deteriorates, and now we become even more vulnerable to adopt cultural assumptions. It's kind of like being sick. If you're sick and you get a sickness, and then you go to the hospital and you get other sicknesses, you become vulnerable to those other sicknesses. It's not good, right? When this, we get to this fourth point that we become vulnerable, and then he says this, that leads to increased conformity. That leads to us becoming even more conformed to the world around us. And then he says it's a vicious cycle. We just go back to the top. We assimilate. God becomes marginalized. Our relationship with him deteriorates. We become vulnerable to more cultural assumptions. That becomes increased conformity, and then we just enter the cycle over and over again. You know the worst, not the worst, but what's worse in all of this? You'd you think like, like there's people we could look up to in our Christian communities. Sometimes we call them pastors, and I'm saying that, and here I am, I'm a pastor. He found in his study that 65% of pastors rush from task to task, interfering with their relationship with God. Man, I read that stat, I'm saying, I thought, wow. I didn't read that stat in judgment. I read that stat and like, oh, I'm prone to that. 65% of Christian leaders rush from task to task, interfering with their relationship with God. I'll be honest with you. God has done a work in my heart over the last decade over this in significant ways. But I still wrestle with like, is it okay that because I'm this is my vocation, and I should be working and busy. Is it okay if I pause to maybe spend 30 more minutes praying and seeking the Lord on behalf of what's happening in the church, and I feel like, well, what if someone comes in? Maybe I should be writing something. Maybe I should be on a call. Maybe I should return an email. It's a crazy thought. Christian leaders fall prey to this. I'll, I'll get to this box later, but someone gave me lent me this book. It's not mine, um, but I read what this one author had to say about the church. His name is A.J. Swoboda. And it's quoted in a book, actually, by uh, John Mark Homer about the elimination of hurry. But he quotes this other pastor in Portland. He says, The Sabbath has largely been forgotten by the church, which has uncritically mimicked the rhythms of the industrial and success-obsessed West. The result... Our road-weary, exhausted churches have largely failed to integrate Sabbath into their lives as vital elements of Christian discipleship. And it's not as though we don't love God. We love God deeply. We just don't know how to sit with God anymore. Isn't that sad? We just don't know how to sit with God anymore. And so the relevance of Deuteronomy's focus on slavery is so important. Because when the Deuteronomy version of the Ten Commandments is written, we read this focus on Israel's slavery. Remember when you were slaves. Remember when you, bought in, when you were oppressed. Remember when this was the water you swam in. Remember this. This is why you need to practice Sabbath. What Israel experienced in Egypt, isn't that different? At least... Um, emotionally from how many of us are feeling trapped in a culture of busyness. I mean, I'm not equating busyness with slavery, please. But what I'm saying is that we can feel enslaved to busyness and hurry and the cultural assumptions. Because we live in a hurry-driven, high-ambitious fear of missing out. You've read FOMO, right? Fear of missing out, never-stop-achieving type of culture. We live in that culture, That's the culture we swim in. And sometimes we just need this drastic decision to get out of it, this drastic rhythm, this drastic direction, this drastic step to get out of it. And Sabbath is what that looks like. Pete Scizzaro says this in in the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, this course we've been working with at Westside as well that's coming up again later this year. He says, by the very act of refusing to succumb to the enormous pressure of Western culture around us, we too serve as a sign of a free people. We've been called out of a world trying to prove its worth and value by what it does or possesses. We're deeply loved by God for who we are, not for what we do. See, the church, like Israel, the church was meant to be a sign to the world of freedom, not slavery. And yet the church gets caught up and conformed to culture and gets in the vicious cycle. And we all become part of it. But we need to get out of the cycle. So it's embedded in creation. It's embedded in Israel's story. We feel in our own story. Sabbath is embedded in this idea of trust. And that's part of my heart for sharing this message today. It's it's, what does it mean to really trust in God? There's a passage in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 30, verse 15. And we read it, actually, on the week we talked about silence. But I want to tie it into Sabbath today because here's this message from God to Israel during a certain season of their life, way past Egypt. I mean, they're now a nation with kings. And, and But listen to this. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. It's like, this is, this is available to you. The turning back to me, resting in me, quietness and trust being your strength, but you would have none of it. And when I, when you read that just by itself, I mean, it's, it's powerful in and of itself. But when you look at the context, you're kind of blown away because Israel's falling back into like, like their old life or their generations past. If you go back to verse one to three, I want to read uh, just a couple of verses here. This is again, God's word to Israel. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, not, but not by my spirit. Heaping heaping sin upon sin. So they're forming an alliance with something. With who? Who go down to Egypt without consulting me. Who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. But Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. Isn't that interesting? That in this passage where God's saying, rest is your salvation, one of their problems was they, they were actually looking back to Egypt Isn't there irony in that? How often have we turned to the source of our anxiety and fatigue for refuge rather than God? The things that actually give us anxiety, the things that actually make us fatigued, the things that actually overwhelm us and burden us, I don't know, isn't that that weird? We actually turn to them sometimes for a solution. We go to something that's actually the problem for the solution. And God's saying that to Israel. They've been going, like, turning back to Egypt. Now, it's not about, in our day and age, nations don't mean the same way as they meant back then. But think about the influence. They were turning to the king of Egypt and not their king. It's crazy. You know, it's funny. Like, we'll experience this, right? Like, we'll binge watch, you know, some episodes. And we're like, that just messed me up. And then we're so tired one night, and we're like, what am I going to do? I'm going to binge watch. It's like the thing that wrecked me, I'm going to go back and get wrecked again by it. The remedy of our lack of purpose, we're like, I want purpose, so I'm just going to do more. And yet our doing and doing often doesn't really lead us to purpose. We look for love in the wrong places sometimes where we want, we, want, we know that, that, that there's love available in our lives. And sometimes we look to the wrong places and yet we go back to those places and we know we're not going to find true love there. Look what happens to Israel, their outcome, verse 12 to 14. Because you have rejected this message, relied on oppression, relied on oppression and depended on deceit, the sin will become for you like a high wall, cracked and bulging that collapses suddenly in an instant. It will break in pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment will be found for taking coals from a hearth or scooping water out of a cistern. In other words, you're, you're going to reach out for this, but you're going to discover you're just going to be a cracked wall. You're going to be a cracked piece of poverty. It's going to be useless. And then out of that, we read verse 15 again. In repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength. Just listen to that again. In repentance or in turning back to God, right? In turning back to God and in rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust. Trust in who? In him. And trust is your strength. This might seem overly simplistic, rest. But it's bigger than that. It's who do you trust? It's where is your trust? Who are you making an alliance with? Who do you fully trust? The irony is that Israel was were slaves in Egypt, and Sabbath was a gift to them. And in this season, they're turning back to the source of their slavery. And God's saying, No, no, no. Turn to me, find rest in me, in quietness and trust in me, you'll find salvation and you'll find strength. It's the rhythm of Sabbath, but not just the rhythm of Sabbath. It's that Sabbath is a, is a declaration. We trust God. We trust God. Not the cycle in our culture. Not the cycles in our culture. We trust God. And we sanctify the Sabbath. We make it holy. We let it be what it is. The Sabbath as the center of our practices. Because when it becomes the center, all other practices get rooted in our ultimate trust of God. And I, so I did this little diagram and circles and lines are really easy for me. That's it's, um, simple. So, listen to the right, the last four weeks silence, scripture, spirit, saints. We put Sabbath right in the middle. Not because the idea of just stopping, because Sabbath is not just a day off, because Sabbath is a Sabbath to God, to the Lord. It's worship. It's resting in Him. It's knowing that our identity is not in all these other things, but that our identity is in Him. By placing Sabbath in the middle, we are placing God in the middle because Sabbath shows that we trust him. Sabbath shows that he's he's leading our lives and so when Sabbath becomes the center all the other practices are rooted in our ultimate trust of God because Sabbath ends up driving and supporting this well that we've been talking about the last few weeks. The the well that includes disengaging from the noise in our lives in silence or reengaging God's message and God's words for us in the scripture or allowing the Holy Spirit to design the pieces of our lives and listening to his voice. And then, what we talked about last week, letting the church be a witness to us and we being part of that witness to each other. But you know what brings all these pieces together is Sabbath. Sabbath is the practice of practices. It's the engine. It's that kind of crank that cranks everything because it's ultimately about our dependence in Him. Our trust in Him. We orient our lives around Him. In fact, when, if we truly practice sabbath silence would be easier if we truly practice sabbath engaging the scriptures would be a a more natural longing for us if we really practice sabbath we'd make space for the voice of the holy spirit in our lives and if we truly practice sabbath and also communally together in some ways we're saying we're part of the church that bears witness to us and we bear witness to one another so sabbath brings all these pieces together and becomes this engine of practices in our lives but it's a radical move. Pete Scizzaro says, keeping the Sabbath is both radical and extremely difficult in our daily lives. It cuts to the core of our spirituality, the core of our convictions, the core of our faith, the core of our lifestyles. I know some of us even right now, as we're talking about this, like we're squirming a little bit. Maybe there's a leftover email you didn't get to. Maybe there's something like, a, like a, someone in your sales team that you had to chat with or something you left undone at work or at home. It's radical to stop and trust God. And it's not just embedded in what we've talked about. It's embedded in Jesus. I love Jesus has this incredible example, so many examples, but here's one in Mark chapter 6, verse 31. Here's this moment in, in, in the life of Jesus and his disciples, and just, just don't look there for a second. I'll, I'll just describe the moment. He's sent his disciples out to serve. Um, they're on mission. They're, they're learning stuff with Jesus as his disciples, and he's sending them out uh, to do this stuff on their own, and they're, gonna, they're coming back to him, and, and they're gonna kind of report to him, and so they come back, and they're excited. I mean, they're like, we want to tell Jesus what happened and we want to tell him what's going on and so they come and then as they come crowds come together as well and this is what happens as the crowds come because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat he says to them come with me by yourselves to a quiet place to get some rest that was like a decision a radical decision Put put your work reports away we'll hear about what happened in that other town later The crowds, they're going to be here tomorrow. What we're going to do is we're going to come with me. Let's get away. Just us. And we're going to rest. That's radical. That's a radical decision. Jesus is saying, let the Sabbath be holy. Let the Sabbath take priority. The Sabbath was made for you and me. Right? And Jesus Jesus wasn't driven by ambition or opportunity or fear of missing out. He said, no, let's just stop. Let's come away with me. Let's get away. Let's rest. Let's press pause. Let's stop. So that's my encouragement to you and to to me and to us as a church, as a church community, how we we discern rhythm and rest. It's something that's very valuable to us as a church. When we started Westside several, several years ago, we said we didn't want to become a busy church. Um, We have something called Church at Home in the Summer where it helps us with rhythm and rest. These days we're asking the question, does church at home do rhythm and rest for us? Is there other ways? Because the priority is rhythm and rest. The priority is Sabbath. The priority is, is that we re- get replenished and keep serving God. How that happens is something we need to discern as a community. So we have to look at that. But the practice for us, the core, the crank in the middle of the wheel is how do we make Sabbath priority? So I'm going to encourage you that we've talked about these practices the last few weeks, right? Every day, just the five minutes of silence and 10 minutes in scripture and five minutes listening to the Holy Spirit connected to this ecosystem we call the church. But in the middle of these practices, the rhythms we create for our life, my encouragement, I want to make, we need to make Sabbath vital. One out of seven days stopping. Now, I don't, I don't, I say that, and here's what I I know pops up in your minds. Well, my schedule is different, and we live in a different culture, and I work nights, or sometimes I work weekends, or you don't know my family situation. And it's true, it's true. There, we all have different demands on us. And we, we live in a world where electricity happens. And when some of these practices were started, electricity didn't even exist. And so the cycle of evening and night and morning was was basically everything people followed. And, and, you know, I mean, you just couldn't work night shifts and you couldn't work multiple shifts. And that's just how things worked, right? But today it's different. So what do we do? Sabbath is not a rigid... Um, rule in how we work it out, but what is so vital about Sabbath is that we do practice it, that it reflects, somehow reflects a 24-hour period, somehow reflects a chunk of our week where we stop. No, so for some of you, as you practice Sabbath, you might say, you know what, Friday evening to Saturday evening is going to be a stop and slow down for me. Maybe it's going to be Saturday evening to Sunday evening. For me, it tends to be Sunday afternoon to Monday afternoon. That's how it fits my schedule and um, what has helped me, and in the context of our family and stuff. But even that, I'm, I need to figure that out better for our family sometimes, you know, not just for me. So it might fit nicely into a weekend. We're all here today, right? So maybe this is part of our Sabbath. We're worshiping. We're together. Jonathan at the beginning called us into this intentional moment. Why we come. This is maybe part of what it means to Sabbath. And then after today, maybe you're going to go home and nap. I don't know. Maybe you can go home and have a meal with friends or family. Maybe you're going to meet with some people later on. But I hope that if today is like a Sabbath to you, that you don't email work. That you don't think about what's happening next. That you just, you stop and you, you, you just, you trust God with it. So maybe it fits nicely to a week and maybe it doesn't. I know some people in our church community work in the medical field and they work 10 days straight or they work in the aviation field and when they're called to pilot or be a stewardess, whatever, it's just different. I don't know. It It could be, not all of us have Monday to Friday jobs or Tuesday to Saturday jobs. And so that means that there's alternatives, but the principle remains, if you don't stop, you will find the damage. You will. You will feel like the crushed wall the pottery piece that is going to be broken, you will feel it at some point. You will miss out. So whether it fits into a weekend or you have to create alternatives, here's just the four words I want you to remember. And this will be on our website or you can even take a picture of it. You can put it up, Abby. These four things, I think, need to be part of what your Sabbath, what my Sabbath looks like. Sabbath must mean stopping. You must stop. Stop. You must stop. Your work, your wanting, your worrying, your producing, anything that produces for your own provision, you must stop. That's what makes it Sabbath, right? Rest. It means you let go of time. Because God holds time, you let go of time, so you rest. And it might mean taking a nap. It might mean doing whatever. But you hold, you hold time loosely for your body, your mind, and your spirit. It, it should mean delight. That means like just be, do something you love. And that might mean be with friends. It might mean taking a bike ride in the summer, maybe going snowshoeing in the winter, being with friends and family, exercising, I don't know, taking a really awesome nap, watching a movie, but something that brings delight to you is part of what it means to Sabbath. And then the last piece is contemplation or worship. In Sabbath, you can slow down in Sabbath, you can take moments of silence in Sabbath, you can let the scripture speak to you in silence, you can come or in, in, in Sabbath, we can come together and worship. But those four things so vital stop rest, delight contemplate and here here 's the image I want you guys to ha- want us to have. So I brought this box up, and we 're going to end with this box. really simple box it 's actually ripped on the side so it 's fragmented like my life is and uh, and so so he, so here's this box. Now imagine whenever you start Sabbath, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's, it's an alternative way because of your schedule and your work. Maybe it's Friday or Saturday or Sunday. But imagine that you start Sabbath in this way. Here is the Sabbath box. Here's the Sabbath box. And before you start Sabbath, your Sabbath box is closed. And as you start Sabbath, maybe you might say, well, here's my work and here's my responsibilities and here's my wanting and my worrying and my desire to achieve and and the busyness of the culture around me and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to place my work and my responsibilities in the box. I'm going to place my anxiety and my worries in the box and I'm going to surrender them for the next 24 hours. I'm going to say, here, they're in the box. God, they're yours. I, I didn't finish this and I won't be able to get to it, I'm going to leave it in the box. God, I have this worry. I'm worrying about it, but I'm going to leave the worry in the box. God, I have to, you fill in the blank and whatever it is, and you put it in the Sabbath box. Like, here's the Sabbath box. God, this is yours. I trust you. You're the source of my life. You bring meaning to my life. I can't make all of this work. It's yours. And you leave it in the box. And there's your Sabbath box. And when Sabbath is over, you take it out and you receive it in a different way because you've let it go for 24 hours. You receive it in a, you receive your work in a different way. You receive your responsibilities in a different way. You receive your, your dreams and your ambitions in a different way because you've let it go to God. You've surrendered it to him. You're taking it back. And it's like you realize, oh, okay, everything's gonna be fine. I can start work differently today. I can engage that responsibility differently today. I can plan for that differently now. Because it was never mine. I I was able to let it go. And when you're able to let something go, your fist is not closed. Your fist is open. And you live and you act and you choose and you decide differently. Isn't that true? That's the beauty. That's the part of it. That's why it brings all the other practices together. Let's pray as we, we make this decision. Why don't you stand with me as we do this? And maybe just metaphorically... We're here worshiping today. We're here contemplating today. Many of us are not working in this moment. We're just, we're here, we're present. Our responsibilities are let go for the moment. We have this box on stage. Maybe we could just think about it in a way where we want to make a declaration that we will practice sabbath and give these things over to the lord so right now in this next moment just i encourage you to do that give these things over to god you're working you're worrying you're achieving you're wanting you're producing your concern for provision just give it over to god God honors our work. He honors our ambitions. He's wired us for those things. He's wired us to be creative. But he hasn't created us and designed us in a way that they become our ultimate meaning. Because then they just become an idol and we become enslaved to them. So let's, let, let's give them to God so when we take them back, we take them back with the right posture. God, all around this place I just have a sense that many of us either have or are attempting because it's hard to let go, are attempting to let go of these things, to trust you with them. But right now in this moment, God, we, we say together we trust you with our work. We trust you with our pursuit to provide for our livelihood and ourselves and our families. We, we trust you. With our ambitions, we trust you with our responsibilities. God, we want to let go of our worries. We want to let go of the culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, God, that we swim in. Just like you were forming a people like Israel. God, you're forming us. And you want us to live qualitatively different lives in the world around us? God, we cannot do that without Sabbath. We cannot do that without you. So we invite you, God, to shape us, to form us. And we welcome how you want to form us in Sabbath. Some of us will want to hold Sabbath in our hands, but the beauty of it, God, is that as we practice Sabbath, Sabbath will hold us. Because you're holding us. Because we trust you. So may this become the driver of other practices because this is ultimately about our trust in you. And we just say that right now. God, we trust you. Maybe you need to say that as I pray. Just say, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. God, I trust you. And thank you that Jesus was an example for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.